Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. I love the name of Jesus. And I want to kind of put that wonder back in our hearts because as a people, we talk about Jesus, we worship Jesus, we love Jesus, and he can kind of become a, a household name. And I think that's really more common during Christmas. We Christmasize Jesus. We nostalgicize. None of those are real words, but we do it. You know what I mean? We, we make him an 8.2 ounce golden fleece wearing little thing without really realizing the full weight of what God did at Christmas time. And so I want to welcome you. This is our Christmas series. It's a week. I refuse to do it longer. Um, and, and this is why I, I think there's almost this chip on my shoulder about Christmas. So think about your best Christmas memory. Get it in there. Oh, hot cocoa, snow. Now, I love me some sugar cookies. Anybody else? Like this year, I was like, you're going to make a metric ton of those, and I'm going to get fat, but I don't even care. I'm going to dip them in coffee. I'm going to eat them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then our dog ate like a quarter of them. So, mmm. You know, you love the dog, but you're like, ah. So you got your Christmas memory? You got your deep, like, oh, I, I love Christmas because of this moment? And this is gonna sound mean. Is Jesus anywhere in that memory? Typically not, right? Because it's cocoa and eggnog and sledding. And I remember when mom and dad were happy for once. And, you know, like, these are the things we associate with good Christmases, but that has nothing to do with the full weight of glory that visited the earth when Jesus was born. And so when we look at Christmas this year, my hope is to come back and put a truth that I think we all think we know in front of us and have a stare at it. And the full weight of the glory of God that was made manifest on the earth when Jesus Christ was born, the incarnation of Jesus. God put on flesh. He, he's I put on I get the fullness of God, the fullness of man. It is a mystery to me in some ways, but it also is a praise point in every way. And to make your living rooms a place where worship erupts this Christmas, maybe for the first time ever. Now, here's the thing. I'm not against Christmas cookies, sledding, and warm, fuzzy feelings. I, I'm a geek for Christmas stuff, all right? I like Christmas lights. I don't think God's like, how dare you have a good time? I just think if your house burns down, but you still have Jesus, you still have everything. But the world will tell you if you don't have 26 gifts for each kid and spend thousands of dollars, which you don't have, for an experience you don't need, you won't be fulfilled. But we're the people of God. Our hearts have been satisfied by this baby Jesus. Now, when we talk about Christmas, I always like to talk about Christmas movies. You know the movie Elf? Everybody knows the movie Elf, right? Some, anybody wanna say that's my favorite Christmas movie? <laughs> Okay, you're the weird ones. That's cool. Will Ferrell wearing elf costume. Weird, all right? But there's this moment where he hears that Santa is coming, right? And you know what his response is? Santa! And what does he say after that? I know him. And they're all like, insane. Take him to the hospital, right? Now, when I read about baby Jesus, you know why I get so fired up? Well, number one, I love Jesus. I know him. I know him. I talked to him before I came out here. I want you to know him. I don't want to remove him and make him a Christmas story. I want him to make him the real living word that inhabits your life, fills your heart with purpose, and sends you into eternity in heaven. 
That's what I want. That's why I'm like, this whole Christmas season, it, it, we, it, we've kind of gotten swapped into the cultural stream. And let's just take a step back and walk through the word of what it says, who Jesus is. Because every good sermon starts with a good question. So if we were to sit at Taco Bell or anywhere, and I was like, who is Jesus? What would you say? And if you're a Christian, you should have answers. And that video we watched, it has a lot of names. So you could have said, well, he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. You could have said, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Holy One. You could have sang the whole song. You know that song? No? You're all looking at me like I'm crazy. Look, I, huh? I can't sing it. That's not, a, that's not a thing that Andrew's going to do. Who is Jesus? Who is he? What, what would you say to someone at your family Christmas when they go, why do you worship this Jesus? Who would you tell them that he is? Savior of the world. And I know you're like, I, I, I hope you just fill your mind with it because I, I know this Jesus. So it's not a story. It's a living history that I'm a part of. And it's bigger than just a manger. When Jesus is born, I, I just pull back out of it for a second, Okay. Forget about Bethlehem, forget about all the nostalgia, forget about it all, and go up to heaven. Here's God the Father, the maker of all things, the ancient of days, the firstborn over all. I mean, this is every, he is the alpha, the omega, the living God, all right? He spoke everything into being, made it all for himself, and then that creation, Adam and Eve, the ones he breathed, breathed life into, decided that they didn't want him to be God, they were gonna be God. And in that moment, relationship breaks between the God, the creator, and creation. And so he goes, how do you fix this? And on the earth in those days, you have to think Satan, the great anti of the Lord, is like, man, I did it. I've duped the people of God. I've ruined creation. I've lied, and now he can't do anything about it. And I don't think God's up there going like, I don't know what I'm going to do. But think about it, though. If someone's drowning, how would you save them? Now, some of you are like, I'm a lifeguard. Let me tell you. Well, I would 3.5 strokes out, and I'd say, lean back into me. Don't fight it. Come on, right? I would just throw one of those little circle things and be like, I hope, grab it. Hope you don't drown, right? And then pull them in. Now, if someone's uh, falling without a parachute, how are you going to save them? Most of you are like, well, God bless. That's, that's right. But maybe, you, maybe you're brave and you're like, I'm gonna Tom Cruise this person and you jump out of an airplane with a parachute on, grab hold of them and save their life, maybe. How do you save all of humanity which are living in darkness and stuck in their sin and are underneath the judgment of that sin? How do you save them? What do you do? What's your plan? God's plan, plan A, and it worked, was to come and send his son in human likeness and to live a perfect life and then die. That was plan A. So here's Satan ruling the earth. It's all dark. Everyone's trying to do everything to appease God very religiously. And then God, in a moment, sends his son. And you have to think in that moment, not in the physical, but in the spiritual. So in the spiritual, angels light up the sky and go, glory in the highest. This is the glory of God. Never before have we seen this God, who's other than us, do this thing. You have to think at that moment in time that Satan himself's either crapping his pants or he's thinking like, and I think there is some demonic stuff, like two chapters into Luke, all the babies get killed. You know where ideas like that come from? Satan. 
So there's raging warfare going on. The incarnation, Christmas morning, the thing that we're remembering is like D-Day. Jesus coming and establishing his kingdom on the earth and going, you didn't win, Satan. I'm come for my people. And it's, it's weighty and it's beautiful and it imbues like worship and life and hope and all the things that I think we all long for, but then we're like, ooh, presents. And I'm not, like I said, like my, my, my son, he already counted all the presents under the tree and did the math to figure out how many they're each getting. So even in my house, I have to fight this natural pool in us to be like, ooh, shiny things and presents and warm feelings and go, there's something deeper and more beautiful and that will hold me. And so what I like to do is I like to pray and then we're gonna go to three verses. We're gonna go to Luke 1, Luke 2, and then the book of Colossians chapter one. So if you have a Bible, please open it up. We want you to read the word of God. I actually really like paper Bibles and I'm not against your phone. There's just something about writing down what I hear the Lord say and things I learned so that I can go back later. If you need a Bible, there's some along this wall. So let me pray, and, and not as a transition. I just like to talk to God more than I like to talk to you. So God, thank you that we, we are actually recipients of the things that you did when you were on earth, that you were born. We're remembering that. But you're alive right now. You're on the throne at the right hand of the Father, that you are coming again. And as Romans says, like all creation groans. So Lord, we say come again. Like Maranatha, like God, I wanna see you in a clearer way today. I want worship to erupt in my house on, on Christmas morning. I want my kids to know the depth of the hope of Jesus. And so help us, Lord, give us spiritual eyes to see the beauty of what you did. And I thank you so much that you stooped so low, that you took on flesh, that you took the beatings and the accusations, and you did everything to free us from sin and bring us into the light. Would you uh, uh, renew worship in our homes? If we, uh, I think that really, Lord, did you just unattach our hands to this idea of American Christmas and attach our hearts to the living Christ? In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody know any really burly, and I mean like, think man's man, like just bearded flannel. You're like, yeah, I'm married to him. He's right here. Uh, does he have a daughter? And the likelihood is if you know a man like that and he has a daughter, you've seen him do a thing, or at least I've watched men do this, that I'm like, weird, because he's always masculine and punching things and hitting things with wrenches. But his little girl comes around and he will put on a doily and drink tea. You know that picture? So the burly, masculine, flannel-wearing guy will sit cross-legged and sip tea out of a pink cup. You know why that is? Love. Now, he won't call it love because he can't do that because he's, you know, what he is. But why would a God who is so above his creation, I can't even explain it. I'll run out of words if I try to tell you what God's like. Why would a God send his son and then stoop so low as to put on humanity. And in a word, it's love. Now, John 3, 16, it's overquoted, held up at wrestling matches, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then 3, 17, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save it. 
And I know you're like, well, what's the connection? I just, I picture it like God going like, I actually want you to know me. This is why Jesus came. You were made for him. And we're gonna talk about this, but for years of my life, and I talked a little bit about this last, last week. Uh, I talked just about this. I think there's this commandment in the Bible that's really hard to live out uh, if you understand God in the wrong way. So for years of my life, I thought God was like a really busy teacher. Meaning, the teacher is in the class, and he's like, class, listen up. I got work for you to do. I gotta go, but I want you to do this. And then the teacher leaves. And then the class does, like, whatever, writes their notes. And so the church is, we're doing what God told us to do, but he's left, he'll be back in a while. But if you view God as very far away, not up close, can't know him, how do you love him? And that's what I meant by this, this commandment. There's a, there's a commandment in the Bible. It's called the great commandment. Do you know what it is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. You're like, all of you. Heart, mind, soul, strength. Love God with everything. And for most of my life, it's like I really wanted to have affection. I wanted to know God up close. But I felt like I kept God as like this controllable thought, almost like, I, could, I understand baby Jesus, but I don't understand all this other stuff, so I'll just keep him small. And I want to invite you to love God and even ask the thought, are you walking in love with God? Like intimacy. Do you know him? And I know some of you are like, yeah, yeah I think I do. But do you know him? J.C. Ryle, who was a theologian back in like the 1800s, he said, you'll never grow as a Christian until you develop a personal intimacy with the Lord Jesus until you'll deal with him as you would a best friend. Turn to him first in every need. Consult him at every step. Talk to him about all your difficulties. Spread before him all your sorrows. Allow him to share in all your joys. Do all things as in his sight to go through every day leaning on him. Do you know, do you know him? And I've told you, like, I wanna know God. I wanna talk to him. I want to wake up and meet with him. I want to do what he tells me to do and not anything else. I want you to know him, the reality of him, not just stories about him. There's these moments where like doctrine is no longer just a thought on a page. It's this relational like reality. Like Jesus came in flesh. And we know these, know these thoughts, but then they lead to worship if you actually understand them. It's the moment when the verse on the page actually becomes the living word of the Lord. That's what I've been praying for today. And so who is Jesus? I'm gonna give you two out of the beginning of Jesus' life because the Bible's gonna tell us who Jesus is. And then I'm gonna look at Colossians. So Luke chapter one, verse 31, you have the mother of Jesus, Mary. Now, cool, amazing things are happening in the beginning of Jesus' life, angel visitations, all kinds of crazy stuff's going on. I think if one of you gets visited and you're just told you're gonna birth the Son of God, you'd need some like, I need some confirmation, God, angel shows up, okay? And so the angel shows up to Mary, and this is what he tells her in Luke 1, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now she hears this and of course she's like, I'm a teenage virgin. How's this gonna happen? 
And so the angel tells her, verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So if I was to say, who's Jesus? You go off the bat, really first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, you could say he's the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, he's holy, and his kingdom will never end. But if you keep it just little 8.2 ounce golden fleece Jesus, you miss out on the grand scope of what God is doing. That God is redeeming all of creation. That God is establishing his kingdom over the kingdom of darkness. This is once again like D-Day. This is God coming in in warfare and destroying the works of the enemy. This is God showing off his glory to humanity through a baby. So then he, then he grows up, the baby's born, and Jesus is a physical baby, y'all. I don't know why I said y'all, I'm not from Texas, but y'all felt right, right? Now, I've, I've raised three sons, so I picture Jesus as one of my sons, and you're like, can you do that? He literally was a real human, and I'm not even trying to lower what he did. It just amazes me that this was God's plan and that he would go this low. So babies are, are fed a certain way. Jesus was fed that way. Jesus probably bruised his knees and was like, Mom! Jesus probably missed the toilet seat and peed on the floor. You're like, that's so, you can't say that. That's the, that's the amazingness of it. That our God would go that low. And it's not just a burly guy drinking tea with his daughter. It's the God of all creation going, I'm going to go get them. And I'm going to go low and I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to make my son put on humanity, which I created. Actually, you'll find out Jesus created. And it, it blows my mind how often we can kind of compartmentalize and go, well, there's Christmas Jesus and there's just Jesus. And I'm just like, the beauty of the incarnation may make, it should make you go, Wow that God would do this for me. And so the boy grows up just like any other normal boy. He grows up like a boy before the Lord. And then his parents, Mary and Joseph, do what any Jewish parents would do. They take him to the temple to dedicate his life to God. And when they get there, they offer sacrifices. They actually offer the poor people's sacrifice to pigeons. And while they're there, there's two old people there. There's Simeon and there's Anna the prophetess. And both of them, one is a widow and then the other, is just an old guy. You don't know a lot about Simeon. But there's this moment where they walk into the temple with their baby and Simeon, the old guy, runs up and grabs the baby, which I think is hilarious because I've met a couple new moms. I'm pretty sure I'm getting punched if I grab your baby, right? But not Simeon. And so in Luke chapter two, verse 28, once again, you're thinking, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, the angel tells Mary, well, he's the son of God. And then Simeon's going to tell us who Jesus is. Verse 28 of chapter two. He took him up in his arms, this is the baby Jesus, and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now Simeon, it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been told by God he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. Mary and Joseph walk in holding a baby. It's not a figurative baby. It's not a spirit baby. It's a real baby. 
He grabs the baby up and goes, I can die now because my eyes have seen the salvation of God, both for the Gentiles, hello Gentiles, and for the Jewish people. Bless the Lord. Anna the prophetess, if you keep reading, she's going to do something very similar. She's gonna start praising God and announcing to everyone that's been waiting for the consolation of Israel that it's here, it's happened. That's amazing to me, that when you have eyes to see Jesus, it seems like people just start pronouncing who he is. You can go all through the Bible and people encounter Jesus and they start yelling who he is. Jesus goes later once he's a man to be baptized and he meets John the Baptist. But before he ever meets him, you know what John proclaims about him? Look, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the earth. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. So everywhere Jesus goes, they're aware this is not just a baby. This is not just a mere man. This is God, the Son of God, the Holy One, the one that will make a way for men that are stuck in their sin or stuck, lost in the light or lost in the dark to come into the light and be made righteous. And so let's not treat him as anything different. So who is Jesus? Who is he? And that answer for me, all, I always go to Colossians 1. So go to Colossians 1, go to verse 15. We're gonna study seven verses out of Colossians 1. If you ever get asked, who is Jesus? And I'm actually praying that this Christmas someone will ask you this question. You'll know. The Bible tells us who Jesus is. Colossians 1 verse 15. And what's happening in Colossians in, in chapter one, scholars say is Paul is actually doing a really cool thing. He's quoting a really common hymn of the day and then attaching Jesus's life to it. So it's almost like he's singing a song about Jesus. He's going, this is who Jesus is, and this is who Jesus is, and this is what it means for you. So verse 15, he's gonna tell us Jesus is God in about six different ways. Verse 15, he, who's the he? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, I don't know if y'all know this, you can't see God with your eyeballs. Crazy, right? And usually people that are like, I see God right now, you're like, let's get them to a hospital, right? God is invisible because he's spirit, so the human eye can't see him. My favorite thing to tell people, like, I don't know where God is, what's God like? You know what I tell them? Look at Jesus. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. You wanna know what God's like? Look at Jesus, look how he treats women, look how he treats the poor, look who he sits with, look what he teaches, look at what he's like, and you'll know what God's like. He is the image of the invisible God. And if you're a Bible person, you're, you're probably thinking like, aren't we the image of God? We are made in the image of God. We are image bearers. But Jesus literally is the representation. The icon in the Greek is what he is. So what God is is what God is like. It's like a coin that you press a face into. God, Jesus is the exact representation of God on the earth. And so when we look at us, yes, you're similar to God, but you're not the image of him. What I mean is you can think like God. God has thought, God has emotion. God is relational. You bear some of those images. But Jesus, like Hebrews 1.3 will say, it says he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The exact imprint is Jesus. 
So who's Jesus? Well, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the, like, you want to know what God's nature is like? Look at Jesus and what he taught. And so when we look at all over this, that, that it's, he's going to continue and he's going to tell us what Jesus is, who Jesus is, and what he's like. He's the firstborn over all creation is the next thing. What does that mean? Was Jesus born? What? So when, when the Hebrews would talk about the firstborn, I have a firstborn. His name's Abe, Abraham Holsworth. He's the first kid that me and Anna made, Right? Now, he's first in that way, but he's also first in like his inheritance and position. You see this in the scriptures. So Isaac is called Abraham's firstborn. Who's Abraham's firstborn? Ishmael. So why is Isaac called the firstborn? Because he's getting the inheritance and the blessing. He has first place. This is how the writer of Hebrew or Colossians, Paul, is using the word firstborn. Jesus is this place in this place of firstness the firstborn over all creation. And he continues, verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So when the Bible uses the word all, what's it mean? Don't get complicated. All. So all things were created by who? Just say Jesus, you're in church, okay? All things were created by Jesus. So little baby Jesus, who, what was created through him? Everything, all things. So there's a weight to this baby. No wonder the angels ripped open the sky and went, oh my gosh, we've never seen anything like this. God came as a man. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So spiritual powers, Jesus did that. Thrones, Jesus did that. Flora, fauna, Jesus did that. You, Jesus did that. And my favorite part of this whole section is actually all things were created through him. What's that last line? And for him. For him. You were created for God. Humanity was made for God. And I can get personal and point at all of you. Did it. You were made for him. And so the injustice of the earth is that we've neither loved God or served him most of our lives. And then Jesus shows up and he goes, I'm going to make your heart right. I'm going to bring you back to loving me first. And for most of us, we're like, well, I struggle with that. Why do I have to love him? Because he really is the highest thing in all of the earth, the highest one in all the heavens, the one who is and was and always will be. So we see him as a baby and we go, look, he was created. And I'm telling you, eternity passed that way before there ever was anything and the earth was void. Who was there? Jesus was. So you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now we understand very little of what I just said. Anybody ever tried to explain the Trinity to anybody? So is he like an egg or is he like a pie or is he like water? You know, we have all these analogies, and I think you need to be careful with analogies, but when we talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. God the Father is fully God. God the Son, fully God. God the Spirit, the one in us, fully God. And do I understand it? No! We call that mystery. But when we look at Jesus, John's gonna call him, in the beginning was the The Word. And the word became flesh 
The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And now we have this Jesus who we treat as just a baby when in all reality we should bow down and worship. We should join the angels, not just on Christmas, but every day. That we actually have attached our lives to the firstborn over all creation who created all things by the word of his mouth, who has literally established rulers and authorities and strict powers. And now he made all things and made them for himself. So you were made for God. I think I, I, think I so often talk about Jesus that I can become so familiar with something I should not become familiar with. In verse 17, he says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So if Jesus decided that he was just over holding all things together, what would happen? Like, just unravel, I suppose, right? And even our scientists of modern day, like, they look at, like, nucleuses and protons. I don't even understand it all. I'm not a smart guy. But how these things hold together because you have negative and positively charged ions and they should fly apart, but they don't. Who's holding that together? So there's not an atom, a nucleus, a kid, a, a human who God doesn't rightfully go, I'm before that and I'm over that. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So if you wanna kind of get a glimpse of what we have in store for us, look at Jesus post-resurrection. Look at his life, look at his words. He's the head of the body and the firstborn from the dead. So no one besides Jesus knows what it's like and then be alive again. And then the kicker for me, that in everything, he might be preeminent. Anybody know what the word preeminent means? We don't use that word. It means that he is, where did it go? Surpassing all others. That's the literal definition. That Jesus, that in everything, and what's the word everything mean? All things, no thing is not underneath this everything. Everything, he might be preeminent. In the church, preeminent. In our worship, preeminent. In our houses, preeminent. In our Christmas celebrations, preeminent. And I'll stop using the word preeminent because I think we detach from it, but that Jesus literally would be the treasure of our souls that he'd be the thing that we love the most, that our affections are tied to him, our objectives are tied to him. All that we do emanates from this understanding that that baby grew up to be a man, that that man died for my sin and that he lives now forever and beckons me to follow him. So preeminent, and this is where I think it meets the road for me. If I was to follow you around this week, and even let's say I was to watch watch my Christmas celebration, would it declare that Jesus is preeminent, that he surpasses all other things? Or would people watch my Christmas celebration and be like, sugar cookies are preeminent? And that's a joke. But I think it matters how we live this out. Our lives are now attached to the holy God of heaven and earth. He's in you by his spirit. You are united with Christ. You no longer live, but live by faith in God alone. Like this is, there's these realities that we've detached ourselves from and I'm like, let's come back into them. So my prayer is kind of four things and then I'll try to land this thing quicker rather than slower. But that Christ would be preeminent 
or surpassing all things in our worship here and how we worship. So even looking at like, why, why did we get into this room? Was it to make his name great or to really have an experience? Was it to sing songs we like or was it to sing songs he likes? May Christ be preeminent in our worship. And all of these truths today, they should make us burst into worship. I don't do this a lot, but when we read the Bible sometimes, we always want to make it about us. It's just human nature. But Jesus came for you. God came to free you. And you can't love a God who you keep in this like, well, he's very far away. And yes, universally, he did a thing. No, he came for me. And he freed me. And he's in me. And now I'm freed from me. And that includes in our worship, may Christ be preeminent. The surpassing greatness of Jesus would be on display when we worship. May Christ be preeminent in our affections. And when I say affections, I mean the things we love, the things we talk about, the things we brag about, the things we spend our money on. This would include Christmas gifts. May Christ be preeminent or surpassing all other things in our affections. I think there's this undertow I feel at Christmas that if you don't give your kids the American Christmas experiences, you're somehow robbing them. Me and Anna faced this a lot, actually. We just started homeschooling our kids, uh, which was a harder decision because I've made fun of homeschoolers for most of my life. So, um, like to their face, so, and from stage. Until God tells you to do a thing that you've made fun of your whole life. And the biggest kind of almost regret you can feel post of it is like, am I robbing my kids from these moments in high school and middle school that we had? Because me and Anna, we were public school kids till we die. You know what I'm saying? Um, we loved it. We, we, we were grown by it, we were groomed by it, made some horrible decisions, but Jesus got me. And you're like, kind of like regretting as a parent, am I robbing my kids from having these things, right? And I can feel that at Christmas as well. Like if I really make Christmas that morning all about Jesus and not about presents, and not, am I robbing my kids from something they're due? But the reason that me and Anna chose homeschool because our, our one conviction Dave, what was that? Do you know what that was? Okay, cool. I literally, my heart jumped. Um, our one conviction with homeschooling, we looked at each other and we said, we don't care if our kids are great sports athletes. We don't care if they get all the money. We don't care. We want one thing. We want our kids to know and treasure Jesus. That's it. I want my kids to so be head over heels in love with Jesus. They can go die in a, being missionaries in the Amazon. They can work a nine to five job and love their family. They can do whatever, just love Jesus. I've looked Abe in the face and I said, Abe, the moment you love Jesus and I can see it on you, you can go to school wherever you want. My call as a God-fearing man is to love Jesus and make his name great in every situation I walk in. That's my hope with my kids' school, and that's now my hope with Christmas. So we're not robbing anyone of anything if we're going like, oh, no, the point is not presents and cider and eggnog, which is gross, y'all. None of that is the point. You can give that, you can shove that stuff down your kid's throat, and they will miss the point of their soul, which is to know God, to treasure him. He's the treasure. He's the fulfiller. He's the savior. And he's just as real now as when he was born 2,000 years ago. 
And so will we be a people that go, God, I want you in all things. And when I say all things, I mean in all things. Some of you, you've, you've yet to invite God into all things of your life. And that's why most of the time I find that men don't want God involved in their work. But if you invite God into your work, you actually have more important work to do. May Christ be preeminent in our affections, in our worship, in our objectives. When I say objectives, I mean we want to be a church that goes, we want to plant churches, we want to do missions, we want to go to Tennessee because God told us to and it'll make his name great. So if it costs us money but makes his name great, great, do it. If it costs us our lives but it makes his name great, great, do it. He really is the name above every name. He really is worth giving everything to. If I get Jesus but lose my Christmas experience, if my house burns down tonight, I still have Christmas. And then finally, may Christ be preeminent in our church. May Jesus be the thing we're talking about, celebrating, in love with, right? And so here's what I'd like to do. I'm actually gonna invite the band and I wanna sit you before this Jesus. And I'm hoping somewhere as we've talked about, well, who is he? Who is Jesus? And you have a lot of names like Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God, son of God. That's what he's told to Mary, that he is the, the revelation of the salvation of the people to Simeon, that he is the image of the invisible God. That you get to talk to him. And that's honestly what I felt like we were supposed to end with. And then we'll worship is that I wanna sit you before God and I want you to talk with him. I want you to behold the majesty. Like, it, I, I wanna be in awe that God would do what he did on Christmas. I don't wanna just write it off as a story I've heard since I was this tall. I wanna let that truth sit in front of me. God put on flesh. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He did it so he could save me. And I want every part of that truth to resonate in me and be sung about and treasured. So I wanna set you before God and I want you to talk to him. Not as a baby, not as a figment, but as the real God that wants to come close. So Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you that you are the living God, the ancient of days, the Lord of hosts, the king of all things that you spoke and it all came to being, and yet you stooped low and put on flesh. So in this quiet, holy moment, would you do that again? Would you come close? Would your holiness come now? We can know a truth, but Holy Spirit, make it alive in us. And so church, I just wanna release you right now. Stop listening to me. Start talking to the Lord. Maybe thanking him for what he did. Maybe being like, God, I don't want to overlook any of these things. I want, would you make those truths alive in me? Maybe even ask him, how should I, how should I worship you this Christmas, God? How can I be different this year so that you get center stage, Jesus? Or maybe you're like, I need to just say sorry, Lord sit there before God and would you talk to him? Or maybe it's something entirely different. You're like, I don't want to, I just want to worship him. I want to wonder and behold and sit in awe before him. That's good.
Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.